All right, we are uh, in the middle of our series, well, the end of our series on grace, and it's like, well, how many different ways can you talk about grace? You know, you could probably talk about grace endlessly forever until we actually go to heaven because just the different facets of it and just the different ways that God reveals himself through grace really are endless. God's infinite, and his grace is that song, Amazing Grace. Me and Stoss were singing it together in my office this morning early, but it really is amazing. There's always something more about God's grace that we can learn, that we can see, that we can understand. And today's message, um, I posted, my wife says, are you serious about that? I mean, I'm very serious about it, but today's message is grace kills. And so we're going to dive into that. We've had all of the lovely warm and fuzzies of grace, and it is warm and fuzzy, and it's wonderful, and empowers us, and it's full of God's joy and goodness. But this is another aspect of grace, and uh, grace kills. Isn't that exciting? Isn't that fun? Don't you think, Dennis, isn't that beautifully wonderful? Dennis is like, why did I come this morning? I'm ready to head out of this place. But grace kills. I'm going to get into the word, and everything that we try to teach here is, is based on God's word. We're not trying to get uh, headlines or highlights. We're trying to get God's word into our hearts because it's his word that has the power to really set us free. And so how do we walk through this? I'm going to start you out with a couple slides. First of all, um, if you saw this fly at your house, uh, landing by your food there on the table, what would you do? You are, what's your name? What is it? Celeste. Celeste. Boy, Celeste is rough. She's just like, boom, right away. Not even hesitating. And she's smiling while she kills him while she smiles. That's how it is. We have a fly swatter that roams all around our kitchen. It's everywhere. It's on the, and uh, my wife and her uh, mother, Heidi, uh, my mother, Heidi, they don't like to put it away on the side. They put it right out in the middle of the kitchen island where all the food's at. And they leave all the fly guts on it. The thing sits out there on the counter. Can I get a witness from anyone in my family? She, there. Got witnesses. They smash flies and then they leap. Jenna, did you, she raised her hand at the risk of friendship and relationship. She sets the fly swatter out. They leave it on the counter out in the middle of everything. Why? Because they want the other flies to see that this is a dangerous place to go. It is so gross to walk around the kitchen and go grab a little piece. You're like trying to dish up a little something. You're looking and you're like, oh, there's been a massacre here recently. It's still fresh. And so, but you would kill it, right? Everyone here would kill it. Is there anybody that wouldn't kill it? You would try to catch it and set it free somewhere. Anybody? Oh, Sheila. Sheila would, Sheila would put a couple plants out that she knows the flies like and let them go land on it and snuggle back into the, into the stem. Okay. Most of us would kill it. Okay, what about this one? A little mosquito lands on your arm. Huh? Smash! Right? How many of you are just going to see? Maybe you can make friends with it first. It just wants a little blood. It doesn't want that much. You could pet the back. Right? Maybe you could do that. Maybe talk mosquito talk to it. Just try to become friends. You could do that, maybe. But I think most of us would kill it. In fact, I've killed mosquitoes at the risk of my own safety. I have had mosquitoes on my neck or on my eye or on parts where I shouldn't, and I try to smack, and they try to bite me, and I actually, I know I'm like literally like almost taking myself out trying to get the mosquito because I feel it, and then I look, and I got a whole like red mark, a swollen eye. Uh, what about these things, weeds? Weed comes in. What do you all do with that? You go over and water it, keep it fresh, huh? Put a little bit, 
You know what? Me and Kyle have been fighting weeds at this church for three years, and the weeds love this church. They love, they gather here. They love it. With all these like industrial buildings around, there's nowhere else to go. And they come and find us, and they whoosh. And so we try everything. I was a couple of months ago thinking really hard. And when I say really hard, like I was really close to just making the purchase and going for it, is I read online that the only way to truly kill weeds and keep them from coming back is diesel, like gas diesel, is that you spray and soak the ground in diesel. And you do that, and if you do that, then it kills the ground, and then there's no, uh, no weeds can grow. And I was, me and Kyle talked about it. I was so close. I'm like, we're going to diesel this stuff. And then at the last minute, sanity came, and I decided not to do it. <laughs> and can you imagine with this heat and all these little wildfires, what would happen? This whole church would already be burned down. We had a grass fire at a wedding, and nobody even had diesel out. And this whole backfield caught on fire. This whole place would have been just totally lit. Man, our church would have been actually on fire. Praise God. And so what about, what about, most of us would kill the weeds, right? You're not cuddling them, coddling them, trying to roam, you're killing them. What about if this guy came in your house here uh, and he was there? What would your uh, reaction be for that? Uh, what should your reaction be? Hide. <laughs> Hide. They're coming searching for you. If, if, you are, if this person is right there and this is your view... You've already been found. Okay? So in, even though we do love people, love God, love people, live like we mean it, I think most of us in here would be doing what we need to do to survive. And probably only one of you is going to leave that room. Right? Why? Because it's in danger of your life. Okay? Things are progressively, as we look, there's things that are harmful. And what do we do? We don't tend to let them live. Right? Which, in other words is to kill them. You know, that's a nice way to say it. Here's another one. What about a virus? And a virus could be any kind of a sickness. Well, I'm sick, but I'm just trying to just, I'm just trying to just see if I can keep it alive. I don't want to hurt it, right? We take everything we can to wipe it out, right? Even if it's, and if you've ever had a serious disease, some people in this room have had cancer, things like that. If you've ever had that, ain't nobody telling the doctor like, well, do you know what? It's not really taking up much space. I don't want to be too hard on it. You know, maybe, maybe we can just let have a little bit of room, just see, see how it works out. Do that, but just get this thing dead, get it gone. Right? That's what happens. And so there's why? Because there's an urgency about the problem. Okay? There's an urgency about its impact on your life. There's an urgency on the fact that it can hurt me, it can kill me, it can cause me a problem. Right? Isn't that why we get that way? Right? I need to take care of this. Okay? Well, what about when we have a little sin in our life? When we have a little sin in our life, right? Well, it's just a little. It ain't that big a deal. It's just a little. I just like to do a little of this. I just like to do a little of that. It isn't that bad. Right? We don't treat any of the other things that would take our life out, that would harm us or hurt us with the same kind of care, protection, justification, nurturing, that we do areas of sin. Right? Those would be like to, well, somebody says, oh, you ought to kill that thing. You ought to get that out of your life. Well, you know, I'm just, I'm just kind of struggling with it a little. I'm just kind of struggling. I'm just kind of struggling with this tumor. I'm just, kind of, I'm, just kind of not, not, I'm just kind of not got this mosquito totally under control yet. But I'm going to hurt it. And that could be the attitude and the way that we go about things. But the Bible's clear that sin kills the wages of sin is death. That sin actually brings death to us. It's a harm. It's dangerous. It's coming after us. And so 
when we look at Romans chapter 7, grace kills because sin kills. That's why, that's why it kills. It kills because there is something coming into life that is out to not just uh, make you feel better like we think. Oh, if I just do this, I'll feel better. If I do this, it's just going to help me out. If I do this, it's just going to uh, kind of ease my anxiety or my stress, or it's just going to make things better in my life. It, we think that, and so we try to just get it under control and manage it, but the truth is it's not out there to make you feel better. It's out there to kill you. That's its purpose. And so grace and God's goodness, he comes in, and he doesn't try to say, hey, why don't you two just get along? Just get along. He's trying to actually... Take it out. The problem that we have is that sin is not just an outward issue. It says here in Romans, but I see another law at work in my body, warring against the law of my mind and holding me captive to the law of sin that dwells where? Within me. Within me. Sin is an inward issue, not an outward one. The Bible says that we shouldn't say that we're tempted by God because God tempts no one, but everyone is tempted when they are dragged away and enticed not by outward, when they are dragged away and enticed, the Bible says, by their own evil desires. In other words, we have a desire, and then suddenly we see it. I mean, how many of you get dragged away and enticed to go to the gym and work out? I was just minding my own business, walking along. I saw a gym, and I'm like, I got to get in there. But most of us have been dragged away and enticed to like swing through a donut shop or to go through a fast food line real quick or, or pick up that extra bag of candy at 7-Eleven. Like, those are the, why, because inside of us, we want that. So it acts on a desire that's already there, right? It's not, well, well oh, I've just been persecuted and there's so much outward happening. Oh, I didn't know what to do. No, it, it asked us if we wanted something and our answer was, yes, I do. But will anybody see Will I get found out? Can I get away with it? Can I do it without hurting myself? And so then we run towards it, but it's within us. This is, he says in another place, what a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? He's talking about his own body. Like I struggle with my own body, that there's this, this thing pulling me towards things that are wrong, towards bitterness, towards anger, towards depression, towards worry, towards anxiety, towards addiction, towards whatever it might be, but it keeps pulling me this way. Towards lust, towards covetousness, towards greed, towards, like, I, I'm trying to, but I keep getting pulled this way. There's this wretchedness. Like, who's going to deliver me? This next picture is, uh, cover your eyes, slightly graphic, but I think it paints a good picture, so I went ahead and used it. It's coming from within. There's a poem that, when I, when I struggled with addiction many years ago, there was a poem that I had learned. It's, two natures beat inside your chest. One is evil and one is blessed. The new I love, the old I hate, but the one I feed will dominate. Which one do you feed and how much did you feed it? Well, I only give it a little. I only give it a little. The reason sometimes that we struggle so bad in life in certain areas is because we haven't been willing to kill the desire we give it just enough to keep it alive. We starve it. But don't kill it. We imprison it within limits. But we don't kill it. How does anyone feel when they're starved and caged? How would you feel? 
infuriated. So how do you think that our, na- our sinful nature feels when we give it just enough to stay alive and we cage it so that it can't get out and ruin our life? But I can stroke this worry and anxiety a little bit. I can stroke this lust a little bit. I can stroke, pet this back here. We're okay as long as we just keep it small. When we do that, it is caged and starved. And then sometimes we wonder, why do I feel so frustrated? Why do I feel so agitated? Why do I feel so, ah? Well, because you've you got a part of you that you're just keeping barely alive and in a cage. Well, what's the answer? The answer is just kill it. Just kill it. That's hard to do because it's a part of who we were, who we were born as, who we think we need to still hang on to before Christ. And it's still there. This is Romans chapter 13, 13 to 14. It says, let us behave decently as in the daytime. It says, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissensions and jealousy. Instead, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the desires of the flesh. No provision. In other words, don't give it a little bit. Don't give it a little bit. The problem is in our culture, and this is a a culture-wide problem, is that the idea that it's my desire or that I was born this way or that this is my thought or my need means that it's good. That's not reality. That's not biblical reality. Biblical reality is that there are many things that all of us are born with, that we think about, that we want, that we desire, that are simply not good. And we see it in nature. If I leave the grass out here, if I leave the dirt out here, and I just leave it as it is, as it's been made, it's not going to turn out good. It's going to be weeds. It's going to be disastrous. It's going to be full of rats. Scorpions will come out there. I mean, things will be there. It's not a good, habitable place. And that's not just a result of sin, because originally Adam and Eve were given the job to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and do what? Subdue it. Don't just leave it to what it naturally is. Take control. Bring it into the reflection, the image of what God wants it to be. And we're called to do the same in our own life. Years ago, when I was an alcoholic and I was, had all the social anxiety and I would hide and all these things, there's things that God would say to do, even be in community. And I'm like, well, that's not me. I'm not like that. I'm an introvert. I was born an introvert. Can't change it. And God's like, go love people. I don't even like them. That's a big step. (laughs) And he's like, go love them. And so for me to do that, and and inch by inch, I I kept trying to hold on so desperately to like my need to just be me, myself, and I I need my time. And it's okay to have some of your own time. I still have some of my own time. But this thing, like, it's mine. Not just quiet time, but my time. My space. And to hold on to this, I try to keep just a little bit. And it was so frustrating. Because this self-desire, like, I want my own, my own this, and I deserve this, and I deserve that, that was a selfishness in myself that I had to have. And so I'd say, God, you can have this, but I need to keep this. God, you can have this, but I need to keep this. And I was nurturing it. I was keeping it a little bit. I was keeping it there. But, you know, I won't let it control me. I'm still going to be in community. But I would have just a little bit. And I remember when we moved here, we got here, and we had uh, people move in with, uh, my wife was still back in uh, Oregon, and I got to our house, and then 
uh, everybody started landing here, and they all started moving in with me, and I was still dealing a lot with, like, and I need my space. And everybody's landing, and they're all moving into my house, and everybody's coming into my space, and my, like, I'm good to go out and to be in community and to do all these things, but now they're all coming, like, into my house and into my space. And I'm doing all this, and I was starting to get frustrated, and there was, a, some of them were super easy, and some of the people that were staying with me were very uh, non-introverted. Let's just say that. And there was no place that was free. I remember 10 o'clock at night, I went up my room, shut my door, and I was in my room for like 10 minutes, and I got, I'm like a grown man, I'm like 40 years old, and my wife isn't here, my kids aren't here, so I don't know who's knocking, like, hello, are you okay in there? And I was like, yes, it's 10 o'clock, I'm just in my room. I'm like hyperventilating. I got so mad. And they left and I said, God, what are you doing to me? I'm here. I'm trying to serve. I'm trying to do this. What? I need my time. And he said, whose time? I said, my time. He said, whose time? I said, my time. And we went back and forth. And I finally said, okay, your time. Your time, your space, your life. And he's like, okay. Now you can have some peace. You can have some quiet. You can get out. But this, I got to have everything that ain't going to work like that. And so he made sure that I had to let that die. And so I still make time to have some quiet time, some private time. But I'm not going to stress out, freak out, and, and totally melt down because I don't have my time. And I got to shut all the doors and lock the doors and do that. I had to let it go. I had to give it to him. I can't have both. No one can serve two masters, the Bible says. He'll either love the one and then hate the other. You try to serve two, that's what happens because they'd be going the opposite direction. Romans 8, 12 to 13, it says, Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh, not to our our natural desires, which are still there. My natural desire for revenge, my natural desire to hold a grudge, my natural desire for being better than the person next to me and putting them down so that I can get up. Whatever that desire is. It says, But it is not of the flesh to live according to it, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. That's what it's out for. It's out to kill you. This is a life or death issue. Spiritually first and then physically after. If you watch anybody chase the flesh, they die. They die younger and they usually die tragic. I mean, that's what it's after. But at the very, at the very least, it's going to try to take your soul. It'll try to take your family. It'll try to take your, your job. It'll try to take your, your sanity. It'll try to take your peace. All these things. But it's out to kill. It says, but if by the Spirit you do what? Put to death... The deeds of the flesh, the deeds of the body, you will live. You have to actually put it to death. He leaves some of that to us. God leaves some of that to us because he wants us to to go through the struggle. We go through struggle, the Bible says, we glory in tribulation. It produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope. There's this process that God takes us through to mature us and to grow us. We're putting our own desires to death. And has anybody in here ever been put to death? No. Okay. It can't be fun. And it don't matter how you do it. I can't imagine it's a good time. You know, our, our legal system says that, you know, we have to put people to death, but it can't be cruel or unusual. I don't think there's an uncruel and an unusual way to take somebody's life. I mean, cruel and unusual is an electric chair. At the very least, that's got to be unusual. I don't know anyone that's died that way. 
That's not normal. Dying and putting something to death is cruel and it's unusual because it's meant to live. It's painful. So when he's saying, put this part of you to death, you can expect that it's going to feel cruel and unusual and painful to yourself. I want this, and I'm telling myself I can't have it. That hurts. I want my air conditioning at my house at 75 when I go to bed. My wife wants it at 97. Even though she's sweating and I'm sweating. It has nothing to do with heat. She doesn't want to pay the extra $6.22 for us to not sweat to death. So last night I woke up. This is real life. This is an ongoing thing. Last night, last night I woke up. 1.30, it was just a little after 1 in the morning I woke up. Hot, sweaty. I'm like, what is happening? I get up. I go straight out to the thermostat. I look at it. 77. We have a marital agreement for peace in our home to keep it at 75. My mom kept it at 69 my whole life. And she wore a tank top, no socks, no shoes, even in January. That thing's at 69 and we're freezing. So I grew up in normal temperatures. (laughs) Now we're hitting 77 at night. I wake up. I go over, I turn it down to 75, and then I go to bed. The last time I checked the clock to see how much sleep I was going to get, it was after 4 a.m. Because that's what happens. Once I'm up, I'm up. And I can't go back to sleep. Okay? But it wasn't comfortable. And I was laying there, and I'm like totally, completely having to give up my desire for my temperature. And it's not comfortable. And I'm trying to work on it. I'm trying to grow. We have it at 77 during the day now, so I just go other places. I'm at the library. You'll find me there. I go to other people's homes. <laughs> Our marriage is better than ever. We hardly ever fight. We don't see each other. It's fantastic. No. But it's, it's hard for me to adjust my desire just on a thermostat. Anybody else struggle with that? It's hard to adjust any desire, let alone a real deep embedded desire. I have a desire for this thing to be fixed my way, to be done my way, for justice to be served my way. I have a desire to have whatever it might be. We have a desire for it to happen the way I want it to happen or to get what I want to have or to experience what I want to experience. And to put that to death is really hard, much harder than a thermostat. And yet he's asking us to put it to death, to go through this so that we can live. Because there's something wrong that needs to be put down. We're not just born with all the right desires. We're not born with the right heart. We're not just born with the right mind. We're born into sin. Well, how do we know that? The Bible says in Romans 5.12, it says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, it's talking about Adam, and death through sin, so death came into the world through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. In other words, once sin entered the world... This became a hereditary problem. It's a genetically passed. This is something that's going on spiritually and genetically. It's working through mankind. There's sin in the world now. And we're born with some of these desires. We're born with things in our heart and our mind that aren't right. And all of us, it's different. We all have a different struggle. We all have a different thing that we have to work with. Even the, even the most wonderful, saintly, fantastic person sitting next to you has a struggle. We all do. 
And we have to like work through that. But it tells us that, that it came to all people. This is how David said it in Psalms 51. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. And in sin, my mother conceived me. This was a hard thing for me back when I was coming out of addiction and all my, all my issues. I was saying, I was so angry. The reason I had gone so deep into the path I went into is because first I struggled because I was a believer, and first I struggled because I was having all these other desires, and I struggled, and finally I just said, you know what, I didn't ask for these desires. They're just coming from inside, and if they're coming from inside, then I was made to have all these desires, and if I was made to have all these desires, then God's the problem. Shouldn't have made me like this. And I spent about a year, year and a half just really, really angry at God. Why did you make me like this and then judge me? Why did you do that? This is what things I want to do, and that's not supposed to be right, and now I can't do this, and now I can't, and you did this, it's your problem, and I figured if I could kill God in my heart and in my mind, then I could be free. Problem is, you can't kill God. He's always there. He's always there. And so there's no freedom. You can't get freedom that way. If the two are warring and you want peace, the one that you have to kill is the one that actually is killable, the one that can die. And God is out for your good. Luke 22, 41 to 44. This is Jesus. As he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, he knelt down and prayed. This is when he's getting ready to go to the crucifixion. He's getting ready to go to the cross. Getting ready to die. The act of grace. He says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. What cup? This cup of wrath, this cup of punishment, this cup of pain and suffering that he's about to endure on the cross. He says, take it from me. He says, yet not my will but yours be done. In other words, not what I desire, but what you desire be done. Not what I want, but what you want. Okay, that's something we all have to face. Not what I want, but what you want. But that's what, that's what I want to give up. It says, but your will be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. In other words, spiritual power came in in order to help him do what he was trying to do in the natural, right? Not just the rule of it, but God came by grace. Grace is favor. Grace is God inclined to lean in and to offer help. God's grace came in and helped Jesus to strengthen him to go forward and move forward with giving up his will. It says, and being in anguish, this is even after he was strengthened, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. Sometimes when we have to give up something, walk away from something, it could be as simple as a mindset that we have that's just negative and we try to get away from it and we don't want it. But at the same time, it feels good to think about it. I'm not supposed to scratch this, but oh, it feels good when I scratch it too. And so he's strengthened, but then he's trying to move forward, but then he's in anguish still and he's praying more earnestly. And it says his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. That's how deep he was into this, like putting to death his own desire in order to do the will of the Father. It wasn't just a simple ask, like, oh, hey, you know, I think I'd rather go another way, but your will be done. He's, he's, he's in a total struggle of anguish and grief and, and, and distraught, and he's going through and ready to do this thing, having to face it in his natural person to where he's starting to actually have... Sweat and coming out like he's shedding blood. In 
I was thinking about this, and I thought, you can't pick up the cross of Jesus without passing through the garden of Jesus. Because to pick up the cross, you have to face not my will, but yours be done. Everybody does. When we get saved, but even after that, from activity to activity, event to event, situation to situation, desire to desire, we run into things where, Lord, okay, not my way, but your way. And then we need a spirit to come in and strengthen us in order to make it to happen, in order to help us to walk it out. We have to be willing to go through that garden of denying ourselves and having that struggle and giving it to him, letting the spirit strengthen us in order to get to the place where we can pick up that cross. Matthew 16, 24 to 25 says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, deny himself, and take up his cross. Crosses are not necklaces in this context. He doesn't mean if you want to follow me, get branded. Go get your merch. That's not what he's talking about. If you want to follow me, you have to be willing to die to your own desire in your own way. You got to be willing to do it. And it's a painful process. The cross is a painful process. It's a painful way to die. It's painful because you're going to struggle and you're going to want to live and you're going to want to breathe and you're going to want to rise up. But he's saying, do you know what? You've got to be willing to go through the death of your desire in order to step into the fullness of mine. You've got to be willing to do it. You've got to pick up that cross. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You can chase your life other ways that are easier. I don't want to do that suffering and put that down. I'm going to go this way. You find that in all that struggle and all of that running and all of that chasing and all of that accumulating, you find out, you know what, there's no life here. It's just as empty. It's just as hard. I should have just faced the struggle. I should have just faced the struggle and went through it so that I could get healthy, so that I could know God, so that I could be born again. Romans 6, 1 through 4, he says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. You know, sometimes it's a good idea to just stop exhuming the body. You know, it's like, I put myself to death, but I keep getting him back up to check him out and figure out what went wrong. I keep getting him back up to see if maybe he's better now and I could just help him out and we could live a better life. Like, I just pull that old part of me back up just to see if I could do it better, do it right, do it in more moderation, do it easier. I'm going to go back and relive 20 things from my past in order to try to figure out how I could have made it different, how I could have changed it. I'm just going to keep exhuming the body. You know what? Sometimes you just got to bury stuff and just let it be buried. You just got to bury your old self, your old desires, your old ways, and just say, you know what? It's, it's done. I'm, move, I'm new. I'm moving forward in Christ. He says, but just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. The point of the death is to bring new life. Galatians 5, 24 to 25, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us walk in step with the Spirit. In other words, our flesh no longer is in charge, but the Spirit of God is in charge in our life, and we begin to live by the Spirit and to walk that out. I'm going to live by the Spirit. I'm going to make the choices that are by the Spirit. They will still at times be in conflict with my flesh because we're still here. 
I became a Christian and everything I ever wanted was just what God wants now. It's awesome. Does that work? Anybody really experience that? You ever joined any kind of group? I got part of this group, but now everything they want to do, I want to do. It doesn't even work like that. It doesn't work like that in marriage. It doesn't work like that with kids. It doesn't work like that in jobs. It doesn't work like that in anything. There's still disagreement. There's still pull. So when we give our life to Christ, sometimes our inside will still be like, oh, but I still want to do things this way. I still get a temptation here. And so by the Spirit, we pray, we worship, we ask God for help, we get in the Word, we get strengthened so that the Holy Spirit can help us to walk it out. That's why abiding in the Lord is so important. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 to 18. Grace kills to make way for a new life. That's why it does it. When we, we, we strip out the weeds, when we do these things, why? It's because we have something else we want to grow there. These have to be gone so that this can thrive. That's what we're trying to do. Okay, and so that's what this talks about. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 to 18. So from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. So something's changed. Although we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if you've given your life to Christ, you've been born of the Spirit, the Bible, Jesus says everyone must be born again. We've been born once of the water, born once of the flesh, but now we're born of the Spirit. There's something new that's been born, that's been birthed, that's been created in our own heart, and our own mind. We're made new, even though we look the same. We're starting to have different desires. We're starting to have a different heart. And this thing's trying to grow in us. These two natures in our chest. And one's evil. One's blessed. The new we love. The old we hate. The one we feed will dominate. We're trying to get this thing. I'm feeding the one that I want to grow. I got to feed this. I got I to pour into it. But he says, although we once regarded Christ this way, we no longer do. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has done what? Passed away. Passed away. That's death. So the freedom and the joy of, of Christ is being able death that we were a part of and constantly dragging it along with us, giving it a little bit to eat and feeding it. But to just let it go. It's gone. It's passed away. I'm moving forward. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. All of this is done in order to bring us into closer and deeper relationship with the Lord. Because he doesn't live in sin. He lives in righteousness and holiness and goodness, and he wants to draw us into, he doesn't live in bitterness. He doesn't live in anger. He doesn't live in lust. He doesn't live in addiction. He doesn't live in all these things that, that we can get caught up in. He lives in generosity and goodness and faithfulness. He wants to move us into there. We have to get out of there before we can get into here. If you've ever been to a swimming pool, sitting on the side in 110 degree temperature with your legs in the water is one of the most miserable places to be. I don't want to go to the pool. Well, yeah, because every time you go, you just sit on the side and bake yourself. Get in the water. That's where it's good. But to get in the water, you have to get off the side. Right To move forward into all that God has and for the Christian life to be refreshing and fulfilling and his yoke is easy, his burden is light. Guess what? When you actually get in the water, guess what happens to your body? It's light. Me and Kyle have been in a pool and I was throwing Kyle around. Yeah, we were. We were throwing each other around. Like, look, woo, woo. It was exciting. 
Because you're light. Why? Because you're Because we're because we're fully immersed. And that lightens the load. When you're fully immersed in God, everything lightens. Your life lightens, and that's where you find the joy of the Lord. And that is the end. Amen. Let's close our eyes. I don't know everybody here today, but if you have never given your life to Christ, if you have never given your life to Christ, if you've never received what he's done for you at the cross, if you've never said, Lord, I want to do it your way, not my way. I'm going to let my old go so the new can come. If you've never made that decision to make him the Lord of your life, to receive what he's done as your Savior, then I want to give you that opportunity. Right now, you can just raise your hand. I just want to pray with you. I'm not going to have you come up or anything. I just want to see you and just pray with you. The Bible says all those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Every person. you're in a place where you have something in your life where you're like, man, I've been struggling with this. Well, it's just anxiety. It's just worry. The Bible says don't worry. Let's be anxious for nothing. When we struggle and we have worry and anxiety and, and we, we keep holding on to things, it's because we're saying, I need to understand it. It needs to be done my way so I can have peace. Really letting go is giving it to God. Having peace because he's good. The Bible calls it a peace that surpasses understanding. It guards our hearts and our minds through Christ Jesus. If it's addiction, anger, bitterness, you've got something that you're like, I have been keeping this thing alive and just trying to control it. But you want to say, Lord, I'm just going to give it to you today. It's yours. I don't want to try to be the one in charge of it anymore. I don't want to keep it alive. Just raise your hand. I just want to pray as we close. Father, I thank you for everybody that's here today. Lord, I pray that you would work by your spirit, Lord, to help them put these things, Lord, to death so that your life, God, can have rule and reign in their mind, in their emotions, in their heart, Lord, in every aspect. I thank you for it. Lord, we thank you, God, for your grace, Lord, that it not only loves us, God, but that it comes in, Lord, to take away what doesn't belong, Lord and to bring, Lord, your spirit. I pray that your spirit, Father, would encourage and bless and lift up and, and bring life and empowerment, Lord, to each person, God, to live the way that you've called them to live, to let go of the things that you've called them to let go of and to move forward in the new creation that you've made them to be in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. the next step and visit www.thebeatchurch.com and get connected with a community committed to applying these truths in their everyday lives. You can also give now to support our messages by visiting www.thebeatchurch.com give.